Morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these guys will be glad to give you one. Give you a challenge. Take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. What do we know? We learned about Jeremiah last year, whenever it was, we did that sermon series. What did we learn about Jeremiah? He was a bullfrog. All right. So make sure that at least we got it theologically correct, right? I'm embarrassed that y'all know who Three Dog Night was. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. What, do we, what was his nickname? Anybody remember? The weeping prophet. Why was he the weeping prophet? So you didn't learn. I got to do that entire sermon series again. 46 weeks. He wept because he preached for 50 years. 50 years. And as far as you know, he had not one positive response in 50 years. Kind of like me. Jeremiah was a godly man. What we're going to do today, a couple things I want to mention to you, and then we're going to get started. Number one, you'll hear about this again later, but I want to mention it because the deadline jumped up on us. A couple of things. Number one, that we're doing school supplies for Galloway Church and the community down here. We do it every year, and but we have to have them all in by next Sunday. So you've got this week, if you want to participate, if you'd like to give some school supplies to those people, the kids in Galloway, you can bring them here and put them in the basket. You give them to, to Russ or to me or to Tracy Domino. Uh, we've got a list of it's typical school supply stuff, or you can just buy them a gift card, but we'll, it'll all be given to them and uh, Tracy probably next Monday. But we've got this week to do those school supplies if you'd like to be part of that. And the other thing is the church-wide picnic's coming up August 7th, and make sure you can buy tickets out in the lobby when we're done. I know Russell mentioned that, but just to... Uh, Remind you that that is creeping up on us. All right, everybody found Jeremiah? No? Yes? You need to look in the table of contents and look there. That's, it doesn't matter. Don't act like you know where it is if you don't. Like everybody turn to Hezekiah. Well, at least you don't know there is one. That's good. All right. What we're going to do today, if you look at the top of your handout, we started our series on sheep and their shepherd several weeks ago. We spent a lot of time in Psalm 23 looking at what it meant that the Lord is my shepherd, how special that was, how significant. We spent a lot of time talking about the personality and the relationship of the Holy Spirit to us and that we are intimately, as believers in Jesus Christ, it is an intimate, personal relationship we have with God. It is not our choice of religion over another. It is our life. And the Lord is my shepherd. And it's a little four-year-old girl said, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I want. And the truth is, there's a lot, of, a lot of deep truth in that statement, that the Lord is my shepherd and as bad as things are, that's all I want. Because he is the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, sovereign God of the universe. Not only the creator, but he's my father. And so we looked at the Lord is my shepherd. We began there. And then we spent a few weeks in Ezekiel 34 looking at true shepherds versus false shepherds. And what we saw, and we're going to transition today in Jeremiah, what we saw was because they'd spent so many years under the leadership of false shepherds, leaders who were not teaching them truth, leaders who were not showing them example of being godly, leaders who were not pointing them to the one true God. The result was for Israel, Judah, 
for the, for the Jewish people, they ended up in captivity. They ended up in rebellion. They ended up spending 70 years, Judah, the last two tribes, in captivity to Babylon. The other 10 tribes in captivity to Assyria because of their idolatry and their rebellion. They turned against God. And God was saying to the shepherds, woe to you. As I mentioned to you several times, you don't want to be woed on by God. Every time you see that phrase in the Bible, woe to you, it is not good. You do not want your name and or position to follow a woe from God. So he said, woe to you shepherds who have not led my people. Woe to you shepherds who have not showed a godly example to my people. Woe to you shepherds who have led them away from where they need to be. And as a result, they have to go into captivity to Babylon. So what we're going to do starting today is we're going to transition from that time, Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah, as we're going to see in a moment, and Daniel, the entire book of Daniel, is that 70 years of the Babylonian captivity. When the last two tribes of, of Judah, Judah and Benjamin, the last two tribes of the nation of Israel, go into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar, beginning with, and then you got the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians. And during that period of time, how God is glorified, particularly in the life of Daniel, and how king after king after king sees that the God of Daniel is truly God. When I, in reality, I thought I was God, Nebuchadnezzar, for example, and then Darius, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, all of those men, the most powerful men in the world, ruling kingdoms that dominated planet Earth. And they come to the understanding that the God of Daniel, the God of the Hebrews, is God. That's the same God who is your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. Because he is the great I am. You go all the way back to Egypt. Pharaoh was a god. They worshipped Pharaoh. And God said to Moses, you just go tell Pharaoh and you tell my people that I am. And he proceeded to prove to Pharaoh that he wasn't. That I am and you ain't and God is. And then you get to the New Testament and that's where we're going to end up in the next few weeks. Jesus making incredible statements that I am the following. I am this. I am that. And we're going to see some of those. But our primary focus in this series is Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. We're going to see that, that when he makes that statement, we'll see the context and we'll see what's happening. When Jesus stands up and makes that statement that the crowd immediately knew, that he was referencing Ezekiel 34 that we've been looking at. He was referencing what Jeremiah had to say. He was referencing the life of Daniel. What we're going to see is that Jesus is the great promised shepherd that the Lord said, I will send. So yes, they went into captivity, and yes, they suffered because of their leadership had been so poor. But God said, at the end of that time, I'm going to send true shepherds under the great chief shepherd who will rule you with wisdom, who will, who will preach to you truth, who will show you the right way, the one you can follow, ultimately the good shepherd. So we've seen, number one, the Lord is my shepherd. We've seen true versus false shepherds. And what we're going to look at starting today is the true shepherd, the one that was promised at the end of Ezekiel, and then we're going to look at Jeremiah. So let's turn to Jeremiah 23 and get the introduction, and then we'll move forward. Jeremiah preached, prophesied around the same time as Ezekiel, at the beginning and in, right before the Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah was the one 
that prophesied that the Babylonian captivity would be 70 years, that they would be there. At the end of that time, they would go back. And if you remember from our previous study, that when Nebuchadnezzar came, 605 B.C., three different sieges from 605 to 586 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and Judah, he leveled it. And by the time the third siege was over, there was nothing left. There was no temple. There was no city. They no longer had a land. They were taken into captivity. They were gone. They were property, the property of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. They were owned by Babylon, and they no longer had a land. They no longer had a temple. They no longer had a city. They were in a foreign land owned by a foreign ruler. And so Jeremiah says that, that will last for 70 years. And at the end of the 70 years, you will go back. And so we're going to see God had promised them that. Yes, there's a temporal punishment. And yes, it's severe. But at the end of that time, you will be allowed to go back. And what the Bible, there's a term that comes up here, and you'll see it all the way through the New Testament, and it's applicable and applicable to us today. There's a term that will come up, and it's called the remnant. When they left, when Babylon took them cap captivity, it were millions. When they go back at the end of the 70 years, the remnant, it's like 50,000. But God always has a remnant. Today, that remnant is called the church. There are a lot of people that name the name of Jesus Christ. The church are those who are genuinely born again, who know Christ as their Savior and have decided, I am a follower of the one true God, and his name is Jesus. He is the I am from the burning bush. He is the one who walked in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He is the creator of the universe. He is the one that was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is God. And so we are the remnant. We are the ones that follow him. Because you look at our world, particularly you look at our nation right now, and it is not a Christian nation. We give it lip service in many ways. But the laws that our nation passes and the, the mindset toward, there's only one group in our country that is not allowed to voice their beliefs and to be who they are. You know what group that is? Look at the person next to you. Look at the person behind you. Look at me. Look at yourself. It's Christians. We are the persecuted minority. And you know what? That's exciting. Because if you look at the history of the church, when did they do the most work for the kingdom of God? It was under Nero, the cruelest man maybe that's ever walked planet Earth. He's right there in that category with people like Hitler and Pol Pot and others. Nero was a pig, a cruel, vicious man who would do horrible things like setting Rome on fire and then blaming the Christians. Sewing Christians up into bags, putting, soaking them in oil while alive and lighting them for lamps beyond throwing them to wild animals and using them in the arena. And it was the greatest time in the growth of the history of the church because they willingly said, I will die for Jesus Christ because I believe he is the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in him will never die. You may die physically, but you will never die spiritually. And that has never changed. That principle is what we live by today. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. So we are the remnant. Now listen, the Bible tells us and history tells us that that remnant, that small fledgling group of 11 men at Jerusalem grew and grew. They were not, by the way, when Jesus died, 
Were they fired up and excited and pumped? No, they were terrified, afraid, saying, I'm going to go back fishing. They didn't know what to do. But after he rose from the dead, and you read the book of Acts, the Bible says, and history says, they turned the world upside down for the cause of Christ. If our nation's going to be anything, if it's ever going to be what it was, if it's ever going to be what God intended it to be, it will be because the remnant, the church, is what the church was supposed to be. Nothing else will change. It doesn't matter who we elect in November. They're not changing our nation. They may try. We'll see what happens. But I know one thing. Jesus Christ is the great I am. And I'm trusting him. I ain't trusting whoever's riding on Air Force One. I'm trusting Jesus Christ. Now, Jeremiah 23. Written around this same time. Get your historical context. As they're going into the Babylonian captivity, notice what God says. 23.1. Uh-oh. What's that word? What did I tell you about woes? You do not want to be woed on. You can quote me on that. You do not want to be woed on by God. Verse 1, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Notice the punctuation mark at the end of that sentence. What is it? It's an exclamation point. So here's what God is saying. We talked about it a lot a couple of weeks ago. Woe to you shepherds who are scattering my sheep. I've had it. You're going to pay a price. Verse 2, therefore thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds. Here's the woe who feed my people. You've scattered my flock, you've driven them away, and you've not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. Let me sum that for you in Southern. Boys, you hadn't done your job, and I'm fixing to get you. Hebrew fixings, F-I-D in you. I'm fitting You're going to pay for what you've done. You've scattered my sheep. You haven't taken care of them. And if you got nothing else out of, out of our little, my dance and my, uh, our lack of a microphone last week, if you got nothing else out of that, I hope you took away this one thing. God loves his sheep. And he will not stand for people who are in leadership positions who don't take care of his sheep. That if you've got the title shepherd, pastor, teacher, overseer, ruler, in this case it was princes, kings, prophets, priests, everybody who was supposed to be leading, they weren't. And God said to them and God says to us today, if you're going to lead my sheep and you don't take care of them and you allow them to be scattered and you don't feed them, Woe to you. That's why you better not take a job as a pastor teacher. You better not step up in front of people and open the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord. You better not want to be an elder unless you're serious about doing what God wants. If it's about you, you're going to pay a severe price for that. So God says, here, know this, I will punish you. Verse 3, but, I love that word, my favorite word in the Bible, but, I will, I, the great God who is God, I will gather the remnant of my flock. There's that word I told you. It's going to still valuable today. I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds. They shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, unlike you false shepherds, and they shall fear no more. 
unlike they have been fearing under you false shepherds, nor will they be dismayed like they've been afraid under you false shepherds, nor shall they be lacking as they have been under you false shepherds. So here's what God is saying. I'm going to punish the false, shep false shepherds. Woe to you. But verses 5 and 6, God said, but I'm going to take care of my sheep. I'm going to let them go back. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to bring them out from every place they've been scattered. The Babylon, Assyria, I'm going to bring them back from everywhere, historically. And I'm going to give them good shepherds. Now, not all of them were good. But God said, I'm going to take care of them. I'm talking about the immediate history. So at the end of the Babylonian captivity, here's what happens. You can make yourself a note if you'd like to in your margin. Read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament. That's when they came back. At the end of the 70 years, they come back. Under Cyrus of Persia allows them to come back, the 50,000. They rebuild the temple, and they rebuild Jerusalem, and they come back to the land. That's historically what happened, contextually in Scripture. That's what happens. They come back. Now, verses 5 and 6, let's fast forward 600 years to the time of Jesus Christ. That's verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved. Judah are the ones in the Babylonian captivity, the two tribes. Judah and Benjamin. And Israel, that's the other ten tribes. And I, I realize the whole group is called Israel. I've talked about that before. But this is a historical delineation. So the other ten tribes, which have been taken away by Assyria, they will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. So now God says, woe to the shepherds. You're going to pay a price. But to my people, I'm going to bring you back to the land. But for everyone, there is a time coming that I'm going to send the final true shepherd. He's a descendant of David. He's the branch of righteousness. He is our Lord. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, the Bible puts it this way. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. It's really interesting. The word branch in Hebrew... It's where they get the name of the town Nazareth. Where did Jesus come from, by the way? Just keep that little in your mind there for a moment. So a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From its roots, a branch will bear fruit, will grow. In Zechariah, another prophet, chapter 6, the Bible says this. And speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch... From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. He shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And we're not going to get into great detail about what all of this is, but just a couple of points. What you see there in that passage as God prophesies about the branch that's to come, and Isaiah talks about it, Jeremiah talks about it, Jesus Christ has three great offices as God in the flesh, the Savior of mankind, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man. He has three great offices. He's the great prophet, the great priest, 
and the great king. He is prophet, priest, and king. And that's what Zechariah is talking about. That time is coming. It's a beautiful picture when you understand and you see what Jesus was doing historically and what he's doing now in the remnant of the church. You see, he came. Remember, they were in the Babylonian captivity. They went back to Judah. They went back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the city. They rebuilt the temple. It's called Zerubbabel's temple. Later, it's remodeled and named Herod's temple by an egomaniac named Herod. And when Jesus comes on the scene, that's the temple that exists that you read about in the Gospels. Herod's temple is the remodeled temple they built when they came back from the Babylonian captivity under Zerubbabel. Jesus doesn't focus on that temple. When you see him go into that temple, what is he going in there to do primarily? Drive out money changers. Because Jesus, the temple, represented to them the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. The high priest would go in there on the Day of Atonement and offer sacrifice for the sins of the people and offer that to God on one day a year. Jesus comes and says, that's the temple, but now God is where? In your midst. I am God. And then he leaves, and the great promise begins to go forward. He says, I'm going to have a body. That body will be my church. And then Paul writes about it and others write about it. And the term that's used is, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So from the time of the resurrection to the time of the beginning of the church age, which began when Jesus came, died, rose from the dead the first time, as we continue on and we're in that age now, we, the remnant, the church, we are the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. It's a fascinating, exciting, I can tell you're just wanting to jump out of your chair. But when you stop and meditate on who you are, who we are in Christ, you see history coming together. You see God's plan coming together. Yeah, they had some ups and some downs, some serious ones, because they turned to idolatry. They turned to rebellion. They turned to other gods. But what it was the first of the Ten Commandments. If you've never learned the Ten Commandments, learn number one. You know what it is? I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You will have what? I think he was serious about that. You will have no other gods before me. You know why? There aren't any other. You can make them all day long. And we're still doing it to this day. But God said, you can worship anything else you want to. I'm giving you the right to do that. But I'm telling you, you're going to pay a price for doing it. You're going to pay a price. You worship at whatever altar you choose. But until you come to the great I am, you're going to pay a price for not following me. So Jeremiah makes the promise of the great shepherd to come. Zechariah and Isaiah tell us his name is the branch. The branch, the descendant of David, the righteous one. There are many, many titles. But I want you to notice Revelation 22. Revelation 22. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. I, Jesus, if you've got a Bible, this will be in red. I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you these things in the churches. That, by the way, that's where we are. Local churches are extension of the great church we worship in local bodies to impact our communities for the church 
for Jesus Christ. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to use these things in the churches. Notice the testimony from the lips of Jesus Christ himself to us. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Do you see that? What is Jesus saying? And that's in the book of Revelation when it all wraps up. Jesus said, this is what I'm doing. This is how it's all going to wrap up. How many times do you hear people say, and you may have said this yourself, how many times do you hear people say, man, it is so bad now, Jesus has got to be coming back soon. You know how long I've been hearing that? I got saved April 19th, 1970, and I began to hear it on April 20th, 1970. And you know what? It is bad. I'm embarrassed many times to be an American. But I'm not embarrassed to be a Christian because I know who I have believed. He is God. Here's what Jesus is saying. You Jews, when you hear about the root and the offspring of David and the branch of righteousness and the rod and from the stem of Jesse, when you hear that and you've heard it over and over again your entire lives, I am that person. I am Messiah. Now you can turn just like Judah did just like Israel did, just like your ancestors did, you could turn to other gods. But when it's all said and done, you will turn back to me because I will be your judge. I am the root and offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. And as we will see, he says other things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes where? To the Father but by me. You could choose other routes if you want to. I've given you the right to do that. I've given you your free moral agent. You have the capacity to think, to choose, to love what you see fit. But I'm telling you, when you choose other gods, whether it's self, whether it's money, whether it's whatever it might be, whatever god you choose, no god will bring you into the presence of the Father except me, because I am the I am. John 8:58. Jesus made one of the most incredible, 858-59, one of the most incredible statements ever spoken on planet Earth. He was talking to a group of Pharisees, Jews, and they were talking about Father Abraham, what a big deal to them Father Abraham was. To this day, Father Abraham's a big deal to a Jew. Jesus looked right at him and said these words. Before Abraham was, I am. Whew, I get goosebumps just quoting it. Before Abraham was, I am. And he goes on to that passage to say, your father Abraham looked forward to my day, unlike you. Abraham got it. Peter quoted this morning. It was accounted to Abraham as righteousness. He had faith. He believed in the Messiah to come. Galatians tells us God preached the gospel to Abraham. He got it. He believed God. He trusted God. What do you think he was telling Isaac about as they're headed up Mount Moriah and he's going to kill Isaac? What a great story. He waited all those years to get him, and then God says, now I want you to take him up on a mountain and kill him. Whoa, whoa, God, what? But as he's taking Isaiah, Isaac up there, what do you think Abraham's telling his son Isaac about? He's been, by the way, he's been telling Isaac about this his whole life, the story of the Messiah to come. Because if you read the Hebrews, he wasn't worried about Isaac dying. What does Hebrews tell us? Because he believed God so strongly. He believed, I'm going to kill my son. I'm going to take this knife and cut my son's throat to sacrifice him on the altar to God, and then I'm going to sit there and watch, pardon me, watch God bring him back from the dead. You know why he believed that 
that? Because God had told him what? Isaac is the heir. Without Isaac, there'll be no Messiah. So Isaac has to be alive to be an heir, doesn't he? So I'm going to kill Isaac because God told me to. But then I'm going to sit there and watch God bring Isaac back from the dead. That's called faith. Not faith in something you don't trust. Faith in someone who's proven himself to be worth your trust. That's what worship is. We trust the God who is real. We adore the God who is real. We worship him because he is God. So Jesus said, I am the one you've always heard about your whole life. That's me. There's a passage in the Gospels where Jesus stands up and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue. He reads it, hands it back to the rabbi for the day, and then he sits down. Oh, I'm sorry. Then he says these words before he sits down. He says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Whoa, that's pretty arrogant, right? You read the word of God and then say, by the way, that's talking about me. The one who is to come and give sight to the blind and heal the, the lame, allow them to walk. By the way, that's me. I am Messiah. I am Savior. I am God. Uh, by the way, here's your scroll back. I wrote it. He's either really arrogant or he's what? He's God. He's either arrogant or he's God. Or crazy. He said, I'm the root. I'm the offspring. I'm God. I'm the bright and morning star. So when you get up in the morning and you think, oh my God, my God, what's happening to our country? Then remember, Jesus is the bright and morning star. Jesus is the root. Jesus is God. By the way, he's your shepherd. He's going to take care of his sheep. If you're born again, you're one of them. He's going to take care of you. Why? Because he's who he said he was. He's the branch. By the way, think about his credentials. Very important, when he makes this statement, remember history. This is prior to him going to the cross, prior to the resurrection. For a Jew, and it's even a big deal today, but for a Jew, it was always a big deal to be able to trace your ancestry, your roots, back to Abraham, back to the purity. Paul talked about in Philippians that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, that he, was, uh, he, he had pure blood. It's a big deal to them. Well, remember when you were a little kid? I don't know if I do this anymore, but when I was a little boy, about, I don't know, six years old, and you go to church, they give you the little white New Testament, and you open it up, and you're going to read it, and you open it to Matthew, the New Testament, say, I'm going to start and read the Bible. And you open it to Matthew 1, and what does it say? So-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And you're sitting there going, what the heck is a begat? And you read about how long? Five minutes if you're really into it? 30 seconds if you're like me? You have no idea what you're reading. Do you understand that what they were doing there was saying, here's the genealogy of Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph. He can trace his roots all the way back to Adam. That's pretty pure. You do see the same thing in Luke. You see it done both ways, legally and by blood, to prove Without any question of doubt, he was a Jew, so he could be Messiah. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 4.4, he was born of a woman when the time came. He could prove, he could trace his roots all the way back. He had the credentials to be the Messiah. Also, 
You read the Old Testament. We talked about this a lot of times. There's at least 300 prophecies. I want you to just think. We'll spend a great time on this. 300 prophecies at least, really more, that Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled exactly when he was on planet Earth. 300 Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled over 300 of those exactly when he walked planet Earth. Do you know what the odds are for one man fulfilling eight of them? Eight? It's to in, ten to infinity. That's just eight. How many did Jesus fulfill? 300. He had plus 300 plus. He had the credentials. He had the roots. He could trace himself back. He's not just saying, hey, follow me. He's saying, I can prove to you I'm God. And then he would do little things like walk on top of water. And then he would say, would you read my resume? Pretty good. Here's my resume. And by the way, if you don't believe my resume, watch. I'm going to walk on top of this lake here. If you don't believe that, you see all these thousands of people. There's like 15, 20,000 people here in this crowd. We got one lunch of a little boy. Give me that lunch. I'll bless this, and I'm going to feed all 20,000 people, and we're going to have 12 baskets left over. That's pretty good. You see that keg of water right there? H2O. They didn't know what that was at the time Jesus was teaching them. You know what, H2O, see this keg of water? It's now wine. He changed the molecular structure of water to wine. That's pretty good. Lazarus, come here. And out of a tomb full of dead people, one dead man comes walking out. That's pretty good. Read my resume. 500 years before Jesus was born, there was a man named Siddhartha was born. There weren't any prophecies about this man. 500 years before Jesus. Changed his name to Buddha. And started a religion that to this day, still around. He didn't have the credentials Jesus Christ had. He didn't have the proof that Jesus Christ had. But he formed a religion that a lot of people followed, didn't he? 500 years after Jesus was born, there was a man named Muhammad was born. Started a pretty powerful religion, didn't he? That every day, you're going to pick up the paper, you're going to turn on the internet, or you're going to get on your phone, you're going to get your iPad, you're going to look somewhere, and you're going to see people, followers of the religion that he created. They're killing people in the name of that. In the name of it. He didn't have the credentials Jesus Christ had, did he? Nobody does. Because Jesus is, I am. I am. Micah chapter 5, the Bible says this. You'll remember this passage because you see it every Christmas. But you, Bethlehem, though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, a little bitty village, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. In other words, this one who is to come out of Bethlehem will be, number one, the ruler of Israel and Judah. Number two, he is eternal. He has always existed. Therefore, because he's always existed, he is the ruler. He shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant, there's that word again, of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this one shall be peace.
What do we sing about? Talk about every Christmas. You'll see it everywhere. Church, not not church. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And then you'll see, everybody talks about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You know what the little translation of that is? It's peace on earth to men of goodwill. Jesus brings peace on earth if you'll surrender to him because he is the prince of peace. If you choose not to surrender to him, you're not going to have peace on earth. You're not. What's the only thing that's going to change our world? It's surrendering to the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. He can give you peace with God. He can give you the peace of God, and you can't get it anywhere else. So the prophecy from Micah, 500 years before Jesus came, in a little town called Bethlehem, this person is going to be born, who will be king of the Jews. Now, when Mary birthed her child at Bethlehem, did Jesus have anything to do with that? Where was he at the time? He was in her womb. So he couldn't have coordinated it to be born there. How did it happen? That God had Caesar, the most powerful man on planet Earth, decide right at that precise moment, I think we'll call for a census. So you got to go to your town. So David had to go to Bethlehem. Excuse me, Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. You know why? Because Micah 5.2 said he would. Micah said he would. Who's in control? Caesar or God? Who's in control, Barack Obama or God? Jesus will feed his flock. So fascinating. When Jesus comes on the scene, when he's born, there's a man who's named Herod who's ruling over the Jews under the Romans. Herod was an Edomite, and Edomite was a descendant of Esau. And they were constantly fighting their brethren, the descendants of Jacob, the Jews. And Herod's title that he gave to himself, it's like God's got a huge sense of humor. You know what Herod's title was that he gave to himself? King of the Jews. And so they come to him and say, O king, there's this one born that they're calling king of the Jews. It's a baby. Herod who had killed his son, who killed everybody that ever got in his way. He was a wicked, vicious man. He decides he'll just kill everybody under the age of two, every male, make sure he gets this baby. It's going to toddler who will be king of the Jews. So the Jews were scattered everywhere. There was a remnant left. There were a few around Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Many of them had intermingled and married with the Gentiles and adopted their pagan religions. Jesus comes on the scene as what? The true shepherd. He doesn't come and overthrow Herod. He doesn't come and overthrow Rome. He doesn't come on the clouds. He doesn't come riding a great white horse. He comes in a feed trough in a little cave back behind the inn with the animals sent by God, prophesied by God, virgin born as prophesied by God, a descendant of David, He is king of the Jews. So what we're going to see in John 10 is he says the following things. I am the true shepherd. I am the one you have always waited for. I am the good shepherd. I am the true shepherd. I am the door. I am the doorkeeper. I give to you 
abundant life. I give to you eternal life. And I give you the security of knowing who your God is. We're going to stop with that today because I want to do something else. Because I want you to think for a moment about that context. All that we've talked about from the Old Testament. And then next week we're going to get into John 10 where Jesus says, this is who I am. So for just a moment, I want you to look up, think, look with, look up here with me and think. As we were studying Psalm 23, what was the overwhelming thing that jumped out of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to give me good water. He's going to give me good food. He's going to allow me to rest. He's going to take care of me. He's going to heal me. He's going to bind up my wounds. Whatever I need, the Lord is my shepherd. And then we jump forward to Ezekiel 34 and we see all these false shepherds misleading God's people. And God said, there's a price to be paid, but I'm going to take care of my sheep and I'm going to send them the good shepherd. I hope you're encouraged by that. Because next week we're going to see how Jesus fulfilled Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, Psalm 23, Zechariah, Micah, on and on. That he could only be who he said he was. I and the Father are one. Things like that. So in a moment, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, communion. And as we do that, I want you to think about who your shepherd is. The blood that he shed. The body that he gave. So that you could have him as your shepherd. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we th thank you for the truth of Scripture that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. I shall not want. We thank you, Father, that is wicked and as rebellious, idolatrous as Israel and Judah got. You kept your promises. You kept them. I will provide for my sheep. I will send the true shepherd and under him I will send true shepherds, pastors, to teach truth. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being the church, the remnant, the ones you've chosen to work through until Jesus comes back. So even today, Lord, for those of us who are believers, I pray we would spend the time in communion meditating on who our shepherd is, thanking you for Jesus Christ. And Lord, for someone here who's not a believer, they would this moment say to Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I need a shepherd. Thank you for dying in my place that I might know the one true God. He could be my shepherd. Forgive me, Lord. Save me. We commit this time to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.